So it looks like you've uh, made it through the first seven days of 2024. Glad you made it here. Um, I really would like to just stop as we begin a new year and just pray for us together and uh, pray for God to direct us and lead us as we begin 2024. Let's pray together. God, we're so grateful that you've brought us here together. And God, we pray that you will just give us a fresh start this year. God, we pray that uh, we will be directed by you and that we will fully commit ourselves to you and to this community of people that we're on this journey with. Father, we love you. We pray that we can have your blessing and that you will cause your face to shine upon us. Father, all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you kind of got to ask yourself at some point, like, how did this whole thing start? And when I say this whole thing, I'm not talking about our little Westridge version of what this thing is, but I'm talking about the thing, all of it, the church, all of God's people, because there are bunches and bunches of people that gather in places just like this on Sundays all over the world. So it's kind of fair to ask, how and why did this thing start? Truth is, it's kind of an unlikely story. Because it all started with one guy, and by most accounts, he really didn't seem to have a whole lot going for him. Listen to this description of the founder of the church. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in still another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book, he never held an office, never had a family or owned a house. He did not go to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled even 200 miles from the place he was born. He did none of the things one usually associates with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him and his friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property that he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today he remains the central figure of the human race, the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of people on this planet so much as that one solitary life. And when you read that, it really only adds to the mystery of the question is, how did this thing, how did that guy start a movement that has become billions of people where people give their life to him and to his mission? So, as Greg said, we are starting a new message series today, and it's called How the Church Went Viral. And it's a conversation that's going to lead us through the book of Acts. And it's always a little bit strange to say that when we talk about a book of the Bible and to call it a book, because in my Bible, Acts is about 28 pages. So, I just want to start with kind of a quick summary of where we are in the Bible 
as we kind of talk about where we're going for these coming weeks in this message series. So you don't really have to be a Bible scholar to know that there are two main big parts to the Bible called the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Old Testament, quite simply, is just God's story of bringing Jesus into the world to save us because as humans, we rebelled against him and we became separated from him. The New Testament, then, is just in a very short summary. It is the story of how Jesus came to the earth and started this movement to bring us back together with God. So in this series, we are in the New Testament. And I want to put an image up here on the screen that kind of will give you just an overview of the first part of the New Testament. So if you open your New Testament you're going to find immediately four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that are written about the life of Jesus. And these four men all essentially wrote, it's the same story, just different storytellers. And they all write this story about Jesus, and it's a span of probably just over 30 years is the time period from start to finish in what we call the Gospels. So the next part of the story, after the Gospels, tells the story of the movement that Jesus started, the, the movement we call church. And if you, if you look at it, you can see up here on the screen that the story of Jesus' movement was also, it was about a 30-year span, maybe just a little bit more. But one of those gospel writers, we had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke was one of the writers who told the whole story of Jesus, his coming to earth. We read his version of the Christmas story not long ago. And he is the only one of the four that continues to tell the story of Jesus' movement. And that is what the book of Acts actually is. It's the acts of the apostles or the actions that they took to bring this movement that Jesus started into existence. So Acts is the second part of Luke's two-part history that starts the New Testament. You can see in the beginning of Acts that Luke talks about the idea that he has two books. In Acts chapter 1, he says, In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So a quick breakdown is just recognizing that Luke himself is acknowledging this is the second of his books. And Theophilus, we don't really know who Theophilus is, but coincidentally, his name means lover of God. So it's, it's almost as if we all are Theophilus. Anybody who is curious and wants to know about the life and the mission of Jesus, this book is for you. And Luke also points out that he is beginning, he's, he's giving us the time frame and he says, We're starting in this 40-day period from the time that Jesus died and was resurrected until he ascends and goes back up to heaven. 
this time, this book starts in that 40-day period. And today, we're looking at this moment in history when there was a dramatic transition from a simple, although very remarkable, life and ministry of Jesus to a planet-changing movement called the church that started some 2,000 years ago. And when that church started, it went viral. So in the world of medicine, when you say something goes viral, that's usually not really good news. But in the world of information, sometimes that's actually the goal because I'm using viral probably just like you would use the word viral. And that is that it's something that spreads very quickly person to person until essentially everybody knows it. And keep in mind that Something going viral in those days when people rode donkeys and were on horseback and wrote letters delivered by boats, it's very different than our world of Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and texting and emailing and all the digital communication features that we experience. I feel confident in saying that this story went viral for a reason. And it is a little thing called resurrection. Because a critical aspect of the growth of Jesus' movement is the fact that he died and he came back to life. It's something newsworthy, to say the least. Jesus, who was a very public figure and who was publicly executed, three days after he died, came back to life and he is essentially seen by hundreds of people in the city of Jerusalem and surrounding. So Jesus was undoubtedly a great teacher. He helped so many people with things going on in their life. But the one fact that made his story go viral was that he demonstrated that even death could not hold him back. And he said the same thing can be true of you. So the truth is the world had been prepared for this story to go viral. In the New Testament, in one of Paul's letters, he writes about this moment when Jesus comes to earth, and he talks about the impeccable timing of when he came. It says in Galatians 4.4, when the the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman. The set time had fully come. I I think that probably has many layers of meaning, but undoubtedly, God has everything prepared for this moment. But what was it, really, about this particular moment in history that, that made it just the right time for Jesus to come? What set the stage for this viral movement that explodes onto the scene of human history? And I want to point to a few things because I think these are things that God orchestrated to make sure that the whole world would know about this message of Jesus and his life. First, the time was right politically. And what I mean by that is when Jesus was born, his people, the Jews, had suffered 600 years of foreign oppression and foreign occupation. 
This is started in 586 BC when the, the, the nation of Israel is, is captured by the Assyrians. So it's the Assyrians, and then it's the Babylonians, and then it's the Persians, and then it's the Greeks, and now it's the Romans. So there have been a series of empires that have kept these people down, and I think it's safe to say that Jesus' people, the Jews, had never been more ready for change. They wanted freedom. These people were hungry for someone who would come and bring peace and justice and goodness to the earth. They wanted to hear a message that was good news. There's another thing that also set the stage for this message to really go viral and have a chance to be heard worldwide. And that is, when the Greeks ruled under Alexander the Great, Greek became the common language in the world. There was one universal language that essentially everyone understood, and the reason was because when the Greeks conquered the world, they were not only concerned about their military domination. They wanted to change the world culture. And so they wanted everyone to live like the Greeks. And so the Greek language became pervasive. It was everywhere, one shared language, which opened a path for the message of Jesus to be heard worldwide. After the Greeks, just before Jesus was born, when the Romans came to power, they brought in something called Pax Romana. You probably know, that's Latin for Roman peace. It was a period when there, were, there was, for the first time in centuries, there was a period of real peace. So, communication, travel, commerce, all made dramatic leaps forward in this time because of the fact that Rome, keeping the peace, had built 50,000 miles of roads, which made it extremely easy now. Never before in human history had it been so easy to travel from country to country and do it safely. All these things paved the way for the story of Jesus literally to be heard by millions of people. And Jesus knows when he's talking to his disciples, he knows that this thing is about to explode and to go worldwide. Here's what he says in Acts chapter 1 as we begin in the book of Acts. It says, Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, this message that you're going to take, it's not a local thing. This isn't, this isn't a regional thing. This thing, it's, it's going to start right here in Jerusalem, but it's going to go throughout the entire province, and then it's going to go to the next province, and it's going to the next province until it has actually traveled as far as people live and exist on this planet. Everyone will hear about this message. And he says to them, and you, 
you're going to be the ones who do it. You are going to be my witnesses. You're going to be the storytellers who take this story to the world. The word witness is, it really is an important word as Jesus is speaking here. Because witness, it just simply means telling what you have seen and heard. It's not any different than we would use the word witness if we were talking about someone in court or any other way that we would use that word. Something that you have seen and heard, it's not hearsay, it's not rumor, it's not what someone else saw, but it's telling what you experienced firsthand. And I really, I love Jesus' clarity here when he just simply says, you're going to be witnesses. I think it's just as important what Jesus does not say. Jesus does not say, I need you to be my Bible scholar. I need you to go quote scripture verses to a bunch of people. I need you to go to a street corner with a megaphone and argue creation versus evolution or the scientific proofs for the resurrection. He just says, I want you to be witnesses. Just tell your story of what God has done to change your life. Talk about what you were before and talk about what you are now and talk about God being the change agent that made you into a whole new being. That's what it means to be a witness. Those words that we just read a minute ago were Jesus' last words before leaving planet Earth. And when when he had said those words, he was gone. Continuing on in the book of Acts, it says, After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. So in this moment when Jesus leaves, as he is ascending, Jesus' disciples are just sort of spellbound. They're just standing and staring. And when these two angels come, they, they, they come with a question like, why are you just standing there staring into the sky? Like, hey, what are you guys looking at? You could almost understand this to be a little nudge, a little push, a little bit of it's time to get to work doing the mission that you were called to do. And what's really interesting is when when you look through church history, what you find out is that before they died, these 12 guys had taken the story of Jesus to Italy, to Greece, to Spain, to Britain, to Africa, and to India. The vast majority of the world had already heard the good news about Jesus in their lifetime. The story that we're in, the story of the book of Acts, is about mission. And it's about living intentionally. So now, some 2,000 years later, it's almost as if Jesus turns to us and he says, you too. You are my witnesses. My one and only plan 
for people to know is for it to happen person to person so everyone on this planet will hear the good news about Jesus and have the chance to experience God's grace. That's my one and only plan. So let me clarify just one thing before we go on, and that is that today is about much more than just a history lesson of what some other people did way back when. Because we are very much in this story. We, we have been given the same mission, and, and we probably could be asked the same question like, what are you looking at? In other words, what are you waiting for? Because there is a world waiting, and we have a story that can truly change their lives. I think too many times we discount the power of telling our own story. You know, when, when we have a friend or a family member and we want them, we want them to be connected to God. We want them to experience the grace of God. Our instincts normally tell us, well, invite them to church and let Darren or Greg or Danielle or Scott or let them tell this story. And that's not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, I think that's actually fantastic. I love it that you trust us and bring your family and friends here. But, but know this. There is nothing more powerful than when you tell your story about what Jesus has done in your life, especially when it's your family and your friends. The purpose, the big overall purpose of this message series is to help us see God's design for the church. How is it really supposed to work? So we're going to go back. We're going back to the beginning, see the original, and we're going to see if we can grasp how this movement became something that changed the world, and probably more importantly, to see how we today can live that out. At Westridge... We do our best to partner with you in your faith. But I'm sure you're aware no one can do faith for you. And as much as you might like to see, or I might like to see faith as a solo sport, it's not. God never intended for us to do this journey alone. And that's why he created the church, is because he knew that we would need people who would walk with us on this journey, and he knew that we would need a purpose to give meaning to our life. And that's why we're here. Westridge and every other church is to partner with you to help you find your people and to find your purpose. So as we begin this new year, I want to I challenge you to do a reset in your faith. I want to point you to four simple things that you can do to partner with us to grow your faith. The first thing, show up. Just as simple as that, just just to be here. And I'm, I'm talking about making an intentional decision to participate because the most basic way for you to be with others on the same journey is just by showing up. But I got to tell you, some of us have learned the hard way that just showing up really isn't enough. 
It's a great first step, but it isn't enough because if you've been showing up, at some point you recognize, I, I see some people that their face looks familiar and I know my way around, but like, I don't feel like I know anyone and I don't feel like I'm known. And that's the reason that in this whole thing of finding our people, showing up is huge and it's first, but we also have to have this thing of staying grouped. You need a smaller community of people that can be people who know you and people that you can do life with and people that as you get to know them, you find out they have the same struggles you do. And these are the people that you can count on when life sort of implodes or your life falls apart. These are the people that are there because they know you and they know what's going on in your life. They are like faith friends. And they don't just help you in the here and now, but they actually help you to grow in your relationship with God. So finding your people, that's huge. That's an essential, but it also takes more. You also can partner here by finding ways that you can bring purpose and meaning to your life. One of those is just simply what we call sharing generously. Specifically, that means that we grow to a place in our faith where we come to the point of wanting to give back. And of course, I'm talking right now about financially, that we want to give back. And maybe that's never a step that you've taken or maybe not even considered, but maybe that is your next step. Because that will certainly stretch your faith. But more than that, it will help you understand that this idea of giving back is huge and it's important. And there are other ways that we give back that are just as important, like serving others. Giving back in a very hands-on way and talking about that whole idea of serving others, of all being in this together. That's what we're going to be talking about a lot in these coming weeks as we go through the book of Acts when we see that every person can have a meaningful role in making this body function well. To be clear, I just want to say, here's what I'm not asking. I'm not asking you to take four steps and do four things, have four check marks. I'm asking you to choose one thing that is your next best step as you start 2024 that will help you to grow in your faith. I'm asking you to become a true partner here at Westridge. Move into owning rather than just renting. Put down some roots in your faith and get involved. Find your people. Find a purpose that gives meaning to your life, a purpose that you can pursue and enjoy. And above all, I'd say this. Let 2024 be the year when you stop coming to church and you choose to start with us being the church.